Reading from Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13 and reading to verse 21. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You may be seated. Good. It's good to be back with you here at Weavertown. Always brings back so many good memories for me. We at uh, Trauger are ever grateful to have a church like you behind us, uh, our mother church, if you will. Um, so thank you for all that you uh, do for us out there. This morning I've, sp- I've chosen to speak on simplicity. Now you won't find simplicity in scripture, but... Hopefully, as you stay with me, you will see how the Word of God has spoken about simplicity through His servants, through God's servants. And if you still don't see the connection after the service here this morning, you can definitely talk to me about that. Once upon a time, there was a shepherd boy tending a few straggling sheep on the side of a mountain. One day, as he cared for his sheep, he saw at his feet a beautiful flower, one that was more beautiful than any he had ever seen in his life. He knelt down upon his knees and scooped the flower in his hands and held it close to his eyes, drinking in its beauty. As he held the flower close to his face, suddenly he heard a noise and looked up before him. There he saw a great stone mountain opening right before his eyes. As the sun began to shine on the inside of the mountain, he saw the sprinkling of the beautiful gems and precious metals that it contained. With the flower in his hands, he walked inside. Laying the flower down, he began to gather all the gold and silver and precious gems in his arms. Finally, with all that his arms could carry, he turned and began to walk out of that great cavern. And suddenly, a voice said to him, Don't forget the best. Thinking that perhaps he had overlooked some choice piece of treasure, he turned around again and picked up additional pieces of priceless treasure, his arms literally overflowing with wealth. He turned to walk back out of the great mountainous vault. And again, the voice said, Don't forget the best. But by this time, his arms were filled, and he walked on outside. And all of a sudden, the precious metals and stones turned to dust. And he looked around in time to see the great stone mountain closing its doors again. 
A third time he heard the voice, and this time the voice said, You forgot the best. For the beautiful flower is the key to the vault of the mountain. Is this our life? Are we distracted from that which is the most important? From that which is the key to all beauty and goodness and truth? By that which simply glitters? Which attracts us for a time, gratifies us for a time? Simplicity is recognizing that which is the most important and focusing on that. There's an old Shaker song that goes like this. Tis the gift to be simple, tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, t'will be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we shan't be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right. This song brings out a few key parts of simplicity. You notice there at the end, it's talking about turning. Why does the author use those words? I believe the author is talking about turning from our own desires, from the desires of our self to something greater. We usually refer to that as repentance. He talks about coming to a place where we ought to be, coming round right to simplicity. And that is the valley of love and delight. We, as we continue to grow in simplicity, we will recognize it as that, as the valley of love and delight, freedom and joy. And then he also talks about coming down, and that's where we ought to be. Talks about bowing and bending, but not in a way that, that we are ashamed. He's talking about humility. Simplicity and humility go hand in hand. As we live lives of simplicity, we will grow in humility. But we also have to recognize that we need humility to live those lives of simplicity. So they go hand in hand and they build on each other. As I progress through my sermon this morning, you will hear these four aspects show up again. First of all, it's the recognition of the most important. What is that most important that we need to have first and foremost? Secondly, you'll, you hear some about the repentance from our desires. That growing and maturing to find that place of love and delight in simplicity. And fourthly, a continuing humility as we maintain a life of simplicity. So listen for those, those themes as, as uh, I go through my sermon this morning. We're going to address three questions about simplicity. First of all, what is it? Why do we practice it? And lastly, how do we practice it? What is it? Why do we practice it, and how should we practice it? First of all, I already mentioned that simplicity is recognizing that which is most important and focusing on that. Perhaps maybe a broader definition or, or a, a more detailed definition is intentionally paring down 
our lifestyle toward the essentials to free ourselves from the tyranny of things and focus more on the spiritual. Intentionally paring down our lifestyle toward the essentials to free ourselves from the tyranny of things and focus more on the spiritual, speaking specifically of God and his kingdom. So what do I mean by tyranny of things? When we think of a tyrannical leader, uh, someone who's living in an empire of tyranny, we think about being ruled or being controlled, not having, uh, perhaps not having a choice. In reality, that's, that's how our things, that's the relationship we have with our things. Many times, we shouldn't, but many times we do. We are ruled, we are controlled by our things and by our compulsion to buy more things, to buy bigger things, to buy better things. Arthur Gish, in his book, Beyond the Rat Race, says, We buy things we do not want to impress people we do not like. I hope that's not us here this morning. Um, but much of society operates in that way. We feel like we need to impress people, and, and so we need to buy more. We need to buy certain things. In society today, there is a, a description of our, the way our things are designed to wear out or to give out eventually, and it's called planned obsolescence. It has the idea that those things that are made are designed and will fail. Your technology will be out of date shortly. Um, it won't be supported. Um, now, some of the older stuff you can probably still run because they weren't operating in that, in that mode. But things are, to a greater and greater degree, planned to fail. Richard Foster says that where planned obsolescence leaves off, psychological obsolescence takes over. Now, psychological obsolescence is fashion. We are trying to be programmed to feel ashamed to wear old clothes or to drive old cars, outdated. We are told that if you are out of step with fashion or out of step with the newest and latest thing, then you are out of step with reality. You're crazy. It's not true. It's not true. Simplicity is intentionally paring down our lifestyle toward the essentials to free ourselves from the tyranny of things and focus more on God. It is an inward reality, but it results in an outward lifestyle. Some refer to simplicity as a spiritual discipline, something that needs to be practiced, something that has, um, as we 
as we continue to try to practice it, we grow in being able to uh, practice it better. Why? Why should we practice simplicity? Four reasons. First of all, to imitate Christ and follow his teachings. And this reason could really overshadow shadow all, of our, all of my reasons here this morning. But I'd like to take a look at uh, the Gospels. Um, let's turn to Luke chapter 16. And I'll just read a verse here. I'll just read verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And you'll see as, as it continues, um, it talks about the, the Pharisees who were covetous, recognizing that this was talking about them. We cannot live in covetousness. We cannot live in serving mammon, in serving that desire to get more, to have more. Cannot serve God and mammon. Turn with me to Luke chapter 6. This is perhaps a parallel passage to um, Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. At least there's some similarities. I'll just read a few verses starting in verse 20, Luke 6, 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are ye that hunger now, for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now, for ye shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast out your name as evil for the son of man's sake. Rejoice ye in that day and leap for joy for behold your reward is great in heaven for in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets but woe unto you that are rich for ye have received your consolation. Blessed be ye poor for yours is the kingdom of God. There's something about not having everything, not having perhaps much, that makes or that helps us to recognize what we do have in the kingdom of God. Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Matthew 6, 19, talks about not laying up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, thieves break through and steal. Verse 21 talks about where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, that which you value, that which you consider the most important, that's where your heart is. 
Turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. Start reading in verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. Jesus was calling him to a life of simplicity, a very, a very, very simple life. Jesus demonstrated this life. Um, Son of man hath no place to lay his head. He called people to simply follow him. And here he called the rich young ruler to do that. But he wasn't willing to give up what was truly most important to him, his wealth. He wasn't willing to adopt that life of simplicity. I'd like to turn back to Luke 12 in the passage that Glenn read for us this morning. Luke 12, verses 13 to 21. I'd like to start off by looking at what I, what I consider the key verse here, and probably perhaps the, the key verse for simplicity, in verse 15. And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. His Life is not defined by, is not measured by, is not derived from his abundance. Life is not about that. And that's what he's saying here. What does a man's life truly consist of? It's not getting more things. It's not accumulating. In verse 18, in this parable, we see the rich man saying, I will build bigger so that I can have more, so that I can store more, so that I can own more. Verse 19, I will eat, I will drink, I'll be merry. I will take my ease. Verse 21, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself. 
So why should we practice simplicity? First of all, to imitate Christ and follow his teachings. And secondly, and this one goes um, hand in hand with the first one, is to focus our time and effort on God and his kingdom. Is that truly what is most important to you? As we imitate Christ, we recognize that that is what Christ was operating out of. Take, for example, a lion. Now, a lion, when we think of a lion, we think of them being big, being able to uh, kill large animals. But a lion could actually, theoretically, catch and kill a mouse. However, it turns out that the energy that that lion would have to expend to catch a mouse would be greater than the caloric content of that mouse. So if a lion spent all of his day catching and eating mice, it would slowly starve itself to death. A lion cannot live on mice. Lions need antelope. Antelope are big. While they take more speed and more strength to capture and kill, once they're killed, they provide a huge feast for a lion and its pride. A lion can live a long and happy life on a diet of antelope. It will die chasing mice. If you're spending your time, your energy, going after mice, your short-term reward is a feeling of activity, even a feeling of accomplishment, perhaps. But in the long run, you're going to die. You're going to burn out. What are the mice in your life? This morning, I'd like to say that the antelope is serving God in his kingdom. If that is first and foremost, if that is what nourishes us, we will live. But if we spend all of our time chasing mice, maybe because it's easy, maybe because it's fun, we're not, we're not going to live. We're going to burn out. We're going to die, specifically in our spiritual life. Matthew 6, 25 to 33, specifically verse 33, says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That comes first. If you have a few extra moments to catch some mice, be my guest. First and foremost, the kingdom of God. Nothing Nothing must come before that. Not wealth, not, sorry, not the desire for wealth, not the desire for status or position. You know, not even, not even sometimes what we consider good things. You know, we like to spend time with our families and we consider family time important and rightly so. And I will... I will say that 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 can be a part of building the kingdom. But sometimes, I think, 
we use that as an excuse to shy away from other things that may be more important. Fellowship with our brothers. Worshiping God. You know, when we moved to Westmoreland County, we enjoyed not having so many things to do in the evenings. Um, and, and we're getting a lot more now. But we are having to recognize that with a small church, we're needed. When we have a church service, we show up because we have to. It's, it's our brothers. It's about building the kingdom. And if that is most important, then that is part of simplicity. It may feel like, you know, we're running around too much. But what is most important? What is the antelope? You know, not even our desire for a simple lifestyle should take precedence over the kingdom of God. And I'll talk about that more in a little bit when I talk about uh, minimalism. Simplicity itself can also become idolatry. But not if we first recognize what is most important. Many people in society today actually do pursue simple lifestyles. But they do it for different reasons. Um, And maybe some of the reasons are good. One is a desire to just get out of the rat race. I don't want to be a part of of, just running around and and doing everything. Another might be the redistribution of the world's wealth. Maybe that's why they're pursuing a simple lifestyle. Others, perhaps, a concern for ecology. And I'm not saying these are bad. I'm saying they're, they're good reasons. But what is the most important? What is first and foremost? These cannot be central. Focusing, recognizing that our time and effort on working, working on the kingdom, following God, is the most important. Thirdly, why do we practice simplicity? To learn to trust God for our needs. If we don't have everything, then sometimes we need to rely on others. We need to rely on God. We need to reject the anxiety of always needing to have what it's going to take. I just uh, bought a house recently, and we're working. I guess we're almost done working on it now. And you figure out that you don't have all the tools you need. It's really easy to run and go just buy it, right? But I had to ask myself, is it going to sit? for the next five years and not be used? It's okay to borrow. It's okay to um, ask somebody else if they have one. It's okay to use somebody else's. At the close of my sermon, I'll be reading um, a continuing passage there from Luke 12 that talks about this more. But there's a passage, uh, several other verses I'd like to read. Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some have their security, 
in chariots, in horses. It's probably not what you have your security in today. But you get the idea. What are you relying on? Philippians 4:19 and my God will supply every need of yours according to the to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You know it requires humility to ask somebody for help, to recognize that you don't have everything it takes to do what you want to do. But I think as we learn to trust God, he will continue to provide for us and he will be able to build his kingdom by allowing others to speak into our lives, to help us, to meet our needs. It's a rejection of anxiety. Learning to trust God for our needs. And fourthly, why? To grow in contentment and gratitude. And this goes hand in hand with what I was just talking about. To break free from the mastery or the tyranny, if you will, of the things we thought would make us happy. You know, we think it's going to make us happy. We think, you know, might as well. We have the money. Why not go out and buy something? You know, that kind of thing. But there is a freedom. There is a joy in simplicity. And as we continue to practice it, I trust that we will recognize it. The parable of the rich man that was just read is a man who needed more and bigger. He thought that's what it would take. It did not. He missed the most important part. His soul was required of him that night. What good did Barnes do? Philippians 4, verses 11 to 13. I am not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Paul's testimony of simplicity. Contentment. Gratitude. First Timothy 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. I think of the story that I read at the beginning. In that case, I guess he walked into the mountain with a flower, but he left without it, and everything else he had turned to dust. What did you bring into this world? What can you take from here? If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Proverbs 30. 7 to 9. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God.
Give me only my daily bread, a life of simplicity. What is it? Why is it? And now, how do we practice it? It's tough to talk about how we should practice simplicity. I recognize that we have many traditions in our um, culture. We have uh, many ways that we have accepted as things that are practices of simplicity. As we recognize the need for simplicity in the body of believers, we will agree upon certain things or certain ways in which we want to practice simplicity. And I think that we should find ways to be able to practice it together. One thing we must be very careful about is the tendency then toward legalism. Simplicity should not be a law. Now we recognize that we, we still have to practice it and we still have ways that we agree to practice it together. But if we don't recognize that simplicity is the reason for why we are doing this, we're going to lose the entire idea of simplicity, the entire discipline of simplicity. I know here at Weavertown in the past, um, one way that simplicity was practiced was black cars. And there are still those uh, in our Anabaptist circles that do that. I don't know the reasons exactly for why they carried that out, but I do believe that it had to do with simplicity. Black cars were how they were made. You paid extra to get them painted a different color. In today's society, most likely, if you are driving black cars, you are not doing it out of simplicity. Now, notice I said most likely. At some point, that reason for simplicity was gone. And maybe you have to get it painted black now. The opposite of what it was intended to do. And there are some of those um, in our traditions as well. And I'm not here to, to throw cold water on them. But I do believe we need to recognize that we, are, we have agreed to do this out of simplicity. And that's a good thing. Simplicity is a good thing. And we can live in freedom and joy out of that. If we don't make it a rule, or if we don't make a law about it, can we still hold people accountable to simplicity? I think we should. I think we should be able to talk to our brothers and ask them how they're practicing simplicity. If this is, is their version of simplicity. And that's okay. As we look around us at a world ruled by greed, a world where the measure of success and our future security is determined by how much people are buying. Think of the stock market. How much people are buying and how far people are able to go into debt. We recognize that many of the things we see are not specifically addressed in Scripture. However, there are principles. There are principles, guiding or controlling principles that can help us. I'm going to list 10 what I call controlling principles. You can call them guiding principles if you like that word better. These 10 are presented by Richard Foster. 
in uh, one of his books. And um, I think most of them are still applicable to us today. There are, there may be more, and uh, perhaps some of these aren't the principles that you use to guide your simplicity, but I think they're at least worth consideration. And this is my attempt to not go into making simplicity a law. Let's approach it more as a principle, something that uh, we kind of, we want to work towards, something we want to keep in mind as we live, as we carry out simplicity. The first of those is usefulness over status. And I think about this specifically in clothes, cars, um, houses, is the usefulness the primary reason that we buy it or that we use or that we have it. Usefulness should always come before status. Secondly, we should reject addiction. Now, we do need to learn to distinguish between a real psychological need, something like maybe cheerful surroundings or, I don't know, uh, and, and something that's actually an addiction, something that's actually controlling you, something that you cannot put aside. But we should reject addiction, regardless of what that addiction is. Because that means we are being controlled by something. Thirdly, habitually give. And I praise God that we have a tradition of giving, of tithing, of making that a habitual thing. If you find yourself becoming attached to some possession, consider giving it to someone who needs it more. Deaccumulate. Masses of things that are not needed complicate life. You know, you have to take care of things that you buy. You have to service them. You have to um, take care of them. You have to make sure they're running. You have to feed them fuel, whatever it is. Masses of things that are not needed complicate life. Habitually give. Fourthly, refuse the propaganda of gadgetry. Refuse the propaganda of gadgetry. You don't need the latest iPhone. You don't need the fastest computer. Better stop there. Enjoy things without owning them. And I talked about this briefly. We, owning things in our society is an obsession. If we own it, we feel we can control it. And if we can control it, we feel that it gives us more pleasure. That is an illusion. Enjoy the things around us. You don't have to own it. There's libraries. There's friends that can lend you things. There's, and I'll mention this in just a bit, there's creation. There's the ocean. There's, there's many things that you don't have to own that you can enjoy. And the next one, fittingly, is appreciate creation. Appreciate creation. Get close to the earth. Walk. Enjoy it. There's such beauty around us. 
Be a skeptic, number seven. Be a skeptic of buy now, pay later. Certainly prudence, as well as simplicity, demands that we use extreme caution before, before incurring debt. Be a skeptic of buy now, pay later. Another principle, number eight, use plain, honest speech. Avoid flattery and half-truths. You know, sometimes we call, about, we, we call that duplicity, duplicitous. That's the opposite of simplicity. Make honesty and integrity the, the distinguishing characteristic of your speech and of your life. Reject the oppression of others. Just a thought. In a world of limited resources, does our lust for wealth mean the poverty of others? Shun distractions from your main goal. This is number 10 and probably should have been number one. It's the most important. Shun distractions from your main goal. And we recognize our main goal as serving the kingdom of God, serving God, worshiping him, glorifying him. It is so easy to lose focus in the pursuit of legitimate, even good things. Job, position, status, family, friends, security, these and many more can all too quickly become the center of attention. I hope those 10 give you a little window into how you can carry out or how you can live out simplicity. What are some things that you'd like to focus on to live in simplicity? I'd just like to say a few words on minimalism. There's a relatively new ideology or style, perhaps, based on minimalism. Now, minimalism, um, we see in home decor, we see it in fashion, we see it um, even in digital uh, use of technology. But... And for the most part, I, I wholeheartedly agree with minimalism and find it in sync with simplicity in many ways. Like simplicity, it tries to move away from the cluttered and from the need to have lots of everything. And whether that means lots of decor, whether that means um, a big wardrobe, whether that means um, many devices or even perhaps um, how cluttered they can make your mind. The distinction I'm going to make this morning between those two uh, could perhaps be a contrived difference that I'm making here, uh, maybe even a redefining of them to a certain extent, but I trust that's my right. I see the good in min minimalism, but I would argue that the reasons for minimalism are based more on the development of the individual, and simplicity is geared toward a focus on God and the kingdom of God. So they both seem to come out in many of the same physical ways. And so I, I'm not calling min minimalism wrong in that way, but I do believe that they start from, the, from different goals and different premises. Um, but I, I mean, my house is fairly minimalistic. But I, I want to recognize that that may have a different approach than simplicity in some ways. So this could mean that, a, that out of a life of minimalism, we choose to eliminate an act of fellowship with our brothers or maybe an act of service with our neighbor because we want to minimize our activities 
but we would never choose to eliminate that if we were doing it out of simplicity because we would recognize that as being part of building God's kingdom. We would recognize that as being the most important thing. I hope I made that clear. When NASA first started sending up astronauts, they quickly discovered that ballpoint pens would not work in zero gravity. To combat the problem, NASA scientists spent 10 years and $12 billion to develop a pen that writes in zero gravity, upside down, underwater, on almost any surface, including glass and at temperatures ranging from below freezing to 300 degrees centigrade. The Russians used a pencil. How much effort and money are you putting into avoiding simplicity? Have you recognized what is most important in your life? Have you found and eliminated those things that distract you from that which is most important? Have you given up your natural desires to accumulate? Are you ready to embrace the humility that simplicity both requires and builds? What is most important in your life? How can you develop simplicity? You know, I trust this morning you have recognized what is most important and how you can perhaps live out simplicity. But recognition of the problem is not the same as taking action. On Friday of this past week is the anniversary of the Johnstown flood where a 30-foot wave of water and debris carrying 20 million tons of water crashed into Johnstown, Pennsylvania. 2,200 people were killed. Many who survived said that you couldn't tell it was water coming because there was so much de debris. Many of them had to ride out the wave on top in their houses, but many more were crushed underneath. As that wave hit the town, it began to lose speed. And eventually, by the time it got to the other end of town and hit a stone bridge, most of the debris settled down. And that's when the fire started. Those who weren't killed by drowning and by crushing, many were killed by fire. Nine years prior, the dam had been inspected, and the inspector said that it was unsafe. It was in need of repair. The overflows were, were clogged. A heavy, uh, a rainy spring would have this effect. The dam was on the property of the South Fork Hunting and Fishing Club, a club um, that included men like Andrew Carnegie, Andrew Mellon, H.C. Frick. But, and these were wealthy men. Nothing was done to secure that dam. The problem was recognized, but no action was taken. A disaster that could have been prevented was not. 
First, we recognize the problem. We recognize how we can change or how things need to change. And then we take action and we live it out. I'd like to close by reading Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 32. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that thing which, which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which is today in the field, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will, ye clo- will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink neither be ye of doubtful mind for all these things do the nations of the world seek after and your father knoweth that ye have need of these things but rather seek ye the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you fear not little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom let's stand for prayer Father, I thank you for giving us an example of a simple life in Jesus Christ. I thank you that we can serve to build your kingdom. I pray that we would make that the most important thing as we live lives of simplicity. As we think about the principles that we can live out here. Father, I thank you for this congregation. I pray that you would continue to bless them richly, that you would help them to grow in all things, but especially in the knowledge of you. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.